So I want to catch us up to speed real quick, where we've been the past few weeks and where we're headed together. Uh, We're in a series right now talking about what it means to walk in the fullness of God. What it means to walk in the fullness of God. Um, We read in Ephesians last week this passage, and I began to talk about it. Uh, Can we get that Ephesians 3? Part of this prayer that Paul prays for the church at Ephesus and for the church as a whole, he says, I pray that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge and that you would be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. A passage that we actually um, referenced a a few months ago as we were in the book of Ephesians. And uh, I remember at the time saying to you guys, I I have no clue what what that means, but it sounds good. Um, it sounds pretty grand and out there, and it is. Um, but I believe that what God is wanting to do right now for us is to bring us into an awareness of what this prayer actually means so that we can experience it in our lives. And so this prayer is for us, that we would walk in the fullness of God, that we would be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. The very fact that Paul is praying this prayer for the church says that it's possible. That's pretty cool. Even before we know what it means, even before we've unpacked it, there's this truth that this is possible for us. I don't know if that gets you a little excited, but it should. Um, He goes on to say in Ephesians 4 what that actually looks like. He goes on to to say um, he's talking about actually this, um, this thing that God is doing in the church that Jesus himself brought into, um, brought into effect. And it, it's called the fivefold ministry. And it's these, these different roles that are actually expressions of who he is for the church. And this, uh, these expressions of who Jesus is they have a purpose for the church and it is talking about unity and he says until we reach all all until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of god and become mature and this is what he says maturity looks like attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of christ so god is actually wanting to bring us all into maturity which is the process that we're on the process that we're in is the process of maturity And you know what maturity is, according to Ephesians 4? Maturity is actually growing into the fullness of Christ in your life. That's pretty cool. (laughs) That's God's design and his prayer for you. And it's the very thing that he's wanting to do. So when we think about maturity, I think actually we need to expand our horizons a little bit to think of it the way that God thinks of it. So he's wanting to bring us into the fullness. And um, I I spoke a little bit about this last week. What is the fullness? What is the fullness that God wants to bring us into? And there's two parts to this that I think are really important that we're beginning to break down, starting with today, some specifics on what the fullness is. But it's really two major parts. The first is the finished work of Jesus— that we would know what Jesus accomplished when he went to the cross and he died on our behalf and he defeated death and he rose from the grave. We need to know that because the fullness that God wants to produce in us is directly connected to what he's already accomplished through the Son. 
The fullness that he wants to accomplish in your life is directly connected to what he's already accomplished through Jesus. So we need to know, God, what have you done through the Son? What has Jesus accomplished? That's the finished work. And then there's another part to this. That is the ongoing work. So connected to the finished work is the ongoing work of God in our lives, which actually requires something of us. See, the finished work is done, and we have to actually respond to it for it to begin to take reality, take root in our lives. It requires something of us. And there's an ongoing work. It's the process of the finished work becoming your reality. And it it becomes your reality through your participation in two ways. First is what we talked about last week. It's the process of believing what God says and what he's done. So there's actually this place where we together are partnering with God. We partner with him first and foremost through believing what he says about who he is and what he's done. It says, in fact, that's called, that's called faith. And it says, in fact, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so even the faith, the belief that God wants to produce in us and wants us to come into um, agreement with and to exercise, that very thing comes by hearing what God says. Hearing about what he's done, hearing about who he is, and just saying, yes, I believe it. <laughs> no matter how crazy it seems, no matter how too good to be true that it, it feels like it is, it's true. I believe it. So there's actually this place, the ongoing work where we are entering into belief, and it's the type of belief that shows up through our actions. That's the kind of belief. That's how we actually know that we believe these things is it actually begins to show up in our lives and our lives begin to look different as a result. So the finished work and the ongoing work, what God has done and our place in partnering with that. All right. I want to talk tonight about an expression of that. So we're, we're talking about walking in the fullness and I want to talk about this specific aspect of walking in the fullness that is walking in holiness. Walking in holiness. So if you're the note-taking type, you might write that down. That's kind of the theme for this message. Walking in holiness. Um, before, I, before I do that, I, I want to pray this prayer because I, I feel like as we've been talking about these things already, that perhaps there's, there's some, there's, there are some hearts in this room that are frustrated right now. Um, like you're trying to wrap your mind around these things. You're trying to get it. Um, maybe even as we talk about what we're going to talk about tonight, you might be feeling like, yeah, I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to take what you're saying and to apply it to my life. Or maybe I don't, I feel like it's way far off for me. And I just feel like I want to pray tonight that Um, that any discouragement, any frustration in that way would be removed. So let's pray for that. God, I thank you for your church. I thank you for your children. I thank you for the plan that you have for each one of us. And God, I thank you that you are accomplishing that. And I thank you for those in the room tonight that may be frustrated about the place that they're in, that may be frustrated when they look at their lives through their own eyes and they don't see 
what they want to see. And perhaps there's some tonight that have been believing that, that in fact, nothing is changing when it actually is. And so, God, we just speak that the the promise that you have spoken to us, that that your word doesn't return void, that it is accomplishing something, and that even now, it's by your grace, you're speaking to your church so that we could be more like you. By your grace, that we could walk into that which you are already giving us, and you're pouring out, and you are leading the way for us to walk in. So, God, I pray that we would believe that, that even now there is a momentum that is growing in the Spirit over our lives to walk in the way that you intended us to walk, to step into our purpose and calling in Christ Jesus, to experience the fullness of every spiritual blessing working itself out in and through us. In Jesus' name, tonight, help us to believe that. In the coming days, help us to believe that. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> so we're talking about walking in holiness, and we're going to read from 1 John <clears throat> 3 in a second. But before we do, <clears throat> I want to just cover this first point, <clears throat> which is holiness is who we are now. Holiness is who we are now because of Jesus. All right? So if you're the note-taking type, that might be the second thing you write now. Holiness is who you are now because of Jesus. How do we know this? How do we know this? I'm going to read a few verses that, that tell us this. Hebrews 2.11. Both the one who makes men holy and women, and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus, not afraid to call them brothers and sisters. The one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So if you're in the family of God, you're part of a holy family. That's who you are now. If you're his son, you're his daughter, it's now your identity. Your identity is holy in him. Hebrews 3.1 reinforces this. He says, Therefore, holy brothers... Who share in the heavenly calling, fix your eyes, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. This is in light of this truth, and I'm gonna I'm gonna speak that truth over you. Because you're holy, fix your eyes on the truth of what God's called you to. Colossians three, Colossians three twelve. Again, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly love, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You see, there's a pattern here, and the pattern starts with realizing that this is what Jesus has accomplished over your life. Holiness. Holiness is a distinction. It's a distinction. It's a designation. It's part of who you are now, first and foremost. It's not first what you do. It's first who you are. Ephesians 1.4. Again, similar themes. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
God's plan. And when he looks at you, this is what he sees. That's what this verse tells us. It's, it's telling us that when God looks at you, what he sees is holy and blameless because that's what he purposed for you through Jesus Christ. And if you're in Christ, when he looks at you, this is what he sees. He sees holy and blameless. He sees a life set apart. He sees a life now made different because of him. That's what holiness is. It's literally set apartness. It's, it's otherness. It's this distinction that, um, by which you've been made different now. God himself is called holy. God himself is other. He's otherworldly. He's out of this world. He's holy. He's distinct. His thoughts, his actions, they don't find their root in anything that is here. God actually even calls a day holy. Just thinking of what holiness actually means. He, he calls a day holy. So it's not what you do, it's who you are. It's this actually distinction, this identity. And he, he calls this day holy because the purpose of that day has been set apart. It's been designated with a very specific purpose. In the Old Testament it says, um, it says um, to keep the Sabbath that's holy. It has a unique purpose, a unique design, and it's distinct. It's different. That's what he says about your life. You have now in Jesus a unique purpose, a unique calling, and it's completely otherworldly. That's pretty cool. Holy is who you are because of Jesus. That's really important because that is the starting place for seeing holiness show up in your life. So that's the starting place. Holiness is your identity. But it continues from there into actually holiness being how you are to live. So holiness starts as your identity. And in this place, we actually need to partner with God to say, God, I believe it to be true. Even if I don't see the distinction, you've made the distinction. It's true. It's who I am now. But there is more than that God wants to actually bring about. He wants holiness to be the very thing that you walk in. These two things are working together. 1 Peter 1.15 But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. It's a call. God is saying... Just as you are like the one that calls you, the one who himself is set apart, just as you are part of his family, let your life reflect that. Be holy as he is holy. So it's actually a way that you're supposed to walk and live. The way that we walk and live is supposed to reflect the truth of our identity in Christ. So it's not one or the other, it's both. There is an order. <laughs> Colossians 1.10 And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. That's a prayer of holiness working itself out through our lives. Ephesians 4.1 I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you receive. This is, this is Paul calling them up into their holiness. Calling them into a place of realizing and walking in their identity 
as being now set apart. You know what sets us apart? We have the Spirit of God living in us. We are part of his family now. We're called to be like him, and he's given us the ability to be like him, to live like him. I want to read this passage in 1 John. We're finally there. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. All right, I want to break down this passage a little bit. But you notice at the end of this, it says, All who have this hope purify themselves just as he is pure. It sounds like, be holy as I am holy, doesn't it? Be holy as I am holy. But there's something else to this. There's something else here. And it starts off by saying, what great love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God, and that is what we are. You see, there's something here where he, we get the truth of what God's done, and then we agree with it. You see it? He says, this is amazing. Can you believe the great love that God has poured out on us, that, that he has accomplished this very thing called bringing us into his family, and now we have a new identity as sons and daughters of God. Can you believe it? It's true. That's what he's saying. It's true. That is what we are. So God speaks this over us, and then we come into agreement with it. Say, that is what we are. Say, that is what we are. See, that's you coming into agreement with it. That's good to say. That is what I am. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of God because of his great love for me. He says, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. He says, what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What is he saying? This, this sounds like it's talking about the second coming of Christ, and I'm sure there's a part of this that is true for that, but I think it's actually also true right now. It's also true right now. This very thing that says, what we will be has not yet been made known. That's true in your life. What you will be in Christ, what you will be when the fullness of who he is takes root to a greater measure, you don't know what that looks like yet. You don't know what that looks like yet. We don't yet know what it looks like for the maturity of God to take greater root in our lives. Right? We don't know what that looks like yet. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we will see him as he is. This is, this is really critical. This is really, really critical to walking in holiness. We need to see Jesus. We need to see Jesus for who he is. The secret is that when we see Jesus for who he is, we will be like him. You need personal revelation of who God is for your life. 
Because that's what's going to actually translate into you being like him. This actually sounds like the prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians 2. He says, I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you would know him better. It's the same thing. He says, I want you to know him better. I'm praying that you would know the revelation of Jesus over your life so you can know him better. And when he shows up, when you see him for who he is, you will be like him. We don't know what that looks like yet, but we hope for it. You see it? And what's interesting, it says, All who have this hope purify themselves just as he is pure. How does that relate to this? How does that relate to this? I want to suggest that what the word is telling us here is the process by which we see him and become like him starts with holiness. It starts with holiness. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it. Go to, go to Hebrews 12 with me. I'm going to actually read this from the passage, uh, Passion Translation. Good stuff. They're coming out with the... They have all the um, New Testament in these little sections, like um, segments of... or different books, but um, they're coming out with the the whole New Testament soon. um, I think in October. So if this is good and you feel like it's helpful, you might check that out. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 14. It says, in every relationship, be swift to choose peace over competition and run swiftly towards holiness for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. I'll read this in NIV just so you can know it says something similar. It says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy without holiness. No one will see the Lord. So if we want to be like him, If we want to be like him, we need to see him for who he is, right? And when we see him for who he is, then we will be like him. And it says, those who have this hope purify themselves just as he is pure. Why? Because holiness is part of how we have the ability to see God for who he is. This isn't just about us trying to be different. It's about us wanting to see God for who he is. So then we will be different. And he says, if that's what you want, then you need to walk in the holiness that God has already given you. You need to protect this place in your life. This can't be frivolous for you. This pursuit of walking in this identity, walking it out. Walk in in a manner that is worthy of your calling. Walking in a way that lives up to what God says you have now in him. Walking like Jesus. I feel like this is, this is um, a really powerful key for us. You know why? Because I, I think that, I, I don't know, I, I feel like this topic has been skewed in a lot of different directions. But at the end of the day, one of the things I feel like has come, um, come out of even a wrong perception of grace is that perhaps holiness doesn't really matter. 
Perhaps it doesn't really matter. Like, what's the point of walking holy? What is the point of living set apart? And at the end of the day, if you want to see Jesus, it matters. It matters. Now, don't freak out, like, because he's giving you the ability to walk this way. And what he's saying is choose that. He's saying live in that. He's saying don't disregard it as something that doesn't matter. Because it does. And if you're wondering why I'm not seeing God more in my life, this could be one of the reasons. I don't know. Let him, let him, let him show you that, okay? I want to I um, read the rest of this. I hope you feel God's grace in this because I really just feel like he's saying um, this, is, this is something really important that I'm just I'm giving to you so that you can have it and you can enjoy it so you cannot be wondering. Watch over each other to make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace. And make sure no one lives with a root of bitterness sprouting within them which will only cause trouble and poison the hearts of many. <clears throat> Be careful that no one among you <clears throat> lives in... <clears throat> Sorry, water break. <clears throat> Be careful that no one um, <clears throat> among you lives in immorality because becoming careless about God's blessings, like Esau, who traded away his rights as the firstborn for a simple meal. And we know that later on, when he wanted to inherit his father's blessing, <clears throat> he was turned away, even though he begged for it with bitter tears, for it was too late then to repent. So he says, be careful to he says, actually, run swiftly towards holiness for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. And then he gives, actually, some keys. And I think these are some, um, some things that can really help us. Uh, these are our attributes of our set-apartness. So if you're wondering, like, what does it look like for us to walk in this holiness? What does it look like? And I would say the first thing that this passage tells us is that we're actually called to be a people of grace. We're a people of grace that live by grace. It's by grace through faith that we've received what God's given us, right? It's a gift from him. We're people of grace. And what that actually means is we're meant to walk in that for our own lives and for how we deal with each other. For our own lives and for how we deal with each other, how we see the people around us, we're meant to be a people of grace. He says, be careful that you don't fall short of the grace, the revelation of God's grace in your life. What that actually means is, is we just choose to not live in it. We choose not to live in it for some reason. We choose to not live in what Jesus has accomplished for us. And so falling short of God's grace in your life would be rejecting the truth that he says you're holy already because of what he's done. See, if we try to work for this, work towards this as if it's not something that's been given to us freely, we're, we're falling from the truth of that grace. 
by very nature to say, God, I believe this is true, it means we receive it over our lives and we walk in it towards others as well. So we, by very definition, as a holy people, means we walk in grace, both for our lives and the people around us. Connected to that, he says, don't let bitterness grow in your heart. How does that relate to being a people of grace? In fact, it, it, it's directly connected because as a people of grace, we should understand more than anybody what it means to forgive. Right? <laughs> that's, that's God's grace working out in your life. He said, I've forgiven you. I've forgiven you. This is part of your identity, part of your inheritance, my forgiveness over your life. And when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he said, for, he said, pray, Father, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. Those two things are directly connected. As a people who have been forgiven, we forgive others. As a people who have been loved greatly, we forgive. It goes hand in hand with being a people of grace. It's part of our holiness. In a situation that you might be tempted to hold something against somebody, holiness means saying, I'm going to choose to forgive you because that's what I've received and that's what I have to give now. So that bitterness doesn't grow in your heart. Bitterness grows when we hold offense against people. And he says it has this effect that goes way beyond yourself. He says it, it affects many your holiness actually affects the people around you, even. That's what he's saying here. And so we are a people of grace, which means we are a people of forgiveness. We choose that because of who we are now in Jesus. And, and you know what? <laughs> Most of the time it's moments where people don't deserve it. <laughs> and if we're having trouble with that, we just need to be reminded that we didn't deserve it either. I'm not saying it's easy. But it's what it means to be holy. It's what it means to be set apart in him. And so we need to not let anything like that take root in our lives. So we say, God, deal with that. So that I can walk in the manner that you called me to. Because I want to see you. I want to see you. One more from this passage. And I'm sure there's more. But it says... um, In regards to holiness, we are a godly, eternal-minded people. We are a godly, eternal-minded people. I'm going to explain that one. Um, And I'm going to explain it through food because uh, I know that's going to speak loudly to some of you. So hold on one sec. Anybody hungry? This is beef stew. This is Denty Moore beef stew. Uh... It's got 10 grams of protein in it. Who's hungry? Who raised your hand? Raise your hands again. Come on, be honest, people. You're so scared right now. Why are you scared? (laughs) You're not that hungry. All right. Well, here's the deal. Anybody that wants this, you can have it. I will give it to you. Right now. And you might be thinking, what is the catch? Right? What is the catch? Well, there is one catch, all right? This is the catch. 
you, you, you can't have family dinner. It's this or family dinner, right? Um, this, is, this is Dinty Moore Beef Stew. It was probably created in a factory somewhere. Um, but in the back, we have homemade soups. Homemade soups, like creamy potato with a side of bacon. For you that don't eat bacon, it's not already in it. But for those who do, you can feel free to put it in as much as you want. So you can have this or you can have that. Anybody? Anybody? The only problem is you don't get to warm it up. We don't have a microwave up here. Um, I know this is really a tempting offer. This is actually really proving my point. Why would you want this? Seriously, why would you want this? I lied. It doesn't smell good. It doesn't even smell good. Um, Well, if anybody changes your mind, there it is. It looks like something I would feed my dog, actually. Um, It's interesting because it says here, don't be like, don't be godless like Esau. What did Esau do? He says for a single meal, he sold his inheritance. For a single meal, he sold his inheritance. Esau, in the Old Testament, Jacob's brother, son of Isaac, firstborn. As the firstborn, he had something that was his. He had something that was waiting for him. It's called an inheritance. As the firstborn, he had the first share of the inheritance. And he also had a blessing that was coming his way from his father. And those two things were to be his at his father's death. And one day he comes in from the field. He's been hunting, I think, and he's hungry. And Jacob made this stew. Probably a little bit better than Denty Moore beef stew, but not much better. Not that much better, really. And he comes in, he's like, feed me some soup because I'm going to die, right? It's just like, I'm starving. And his brother says, I'll give you some of this soup if you give me your inheritance. And he says, what is it to me? What is it to me? As if to say, sure, (laughs) I'll make that trade with you. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. You guys were too smart for that. And so he says for a single meal, he traded what was due him. And it says actually that he despised that inheritance, which is to say that he took it for granted. He took it lightly. He disregarded it. He disregarded what he had because, in fact, in that moment, because he was hungry, he he could meet this need rather than waiting for what was to come. And that might seem far out there, but I think it's relevant for us. It's relevant for us. Because God is saying, I I have all of this to give to you. Will you wait for it? Will you expect it? Will you choose it? Or will you meet that immediate need a different way? Will you choose to forgive and walk in my holiness and protect this, or will you trade it in? That's what he's saying. 
That's what he's saying. That's what we do when we choose to not walk in what he's given us to walk in. So, we are a godly people who are eternally minded. Which means in those moments where we might be tempted to trade what we have in him. That is eternal, of eternal value for a simple meal we choose to protect it instead. When we might be tempted to hold something against somebody, we choose to forgive. When we might be tempted to live in a way that doesn't look anything like Jesus, we choose to protect who he is in us. That's what it means. And in doing so, we're protecting the place by which we see him as he is. And in seeing him as he is, we become more like him. His fullness grows in us. You know, there's good news in this because as a people of grace, we, 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 can't, we, we can't exhaust that resource in our lives. We can't exhaust that resource in our lives. And so walking in holiness actually means letting God restore us in the places where he needs to restore us. If we've let something grow in our hearts that shouldn't be there, if we've chosen to walk in a way that is not befitting of the children of God that we are, we, we, all we need to do is actually step back into the grace that God has given us, the grace that actually enables us to live a different way. And so I want to close us in prayer on that note. That we would live up to the holiness that he's called us. That we, we would walk in that. That we would choose that. That we would see sin for what it is. That it would be as unappealing as this stinky can of factory-made beef stew. Seriously. And you realize in that place, it has no power. When you, when you see Jesus for who he is, this, it doesn't even compare. Let's pray.